I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but sometimes when I read the Bible, I'll kind of get stuck on a certain verse. You know, I don't know how you like to read the Bible. Sometimes people are trying to get through it in a year. Sometimes people just kind of take their time. In this last season, I've just been kind of taking my time and just going through, through the scriptures. And recently I got stuck on a verse that I just couldn't get past. And it was to the degree that I had to just keep on praying it, thinking it, meditating on it. Uh, meditating is something when we, we think about, when we study, when we speak out, when we kind of just let it marinate in our life. And this verse was, was that for me. I had to just keep on going with it. And so the verse I, I kind of got stuck on is Psalm 103, 17. And it says this, but from everlasting to everlasting, the loving devotion of the Lord extends to those who fear him and his righteousness to their children's children. I love that verse. I got stuck on that verse for weeks and it so spoke to me. And so it's talking about how someone who fears the Lord, and that word can also be said reveres the Lord or is in awe of the Lord. When, when you're in awe of who God is and you're following Jesus, there's this incredible thing that happens when his loving devotion just becomes so real to you. But the part that I was stuck on was this idea of his righteousness to their children's children. And as I think about that, man, I really care about that. I really care that my kids and their kids know Jesus. And as I was talking about what to pray or what to, what to talk with you about here in this series, I kept having this verse come up, and I was like, but God, that verse is for me. He's like, Junior, relax. He's like, the verse isn't just for you, okay? The verse is for everybody, maybe. So, so I really believe that I was stuck on this verse for me and my family, but I also believe I was stuck on it for you. And the reason I really believe that is because the day after I started writing this message, I opened my Bible up and I went back to that same verse I'd been stuck on for weeks, praying the verse, speaking the verse, meditating on the verse. And all of a sudden I just felt like, all right, I keep going now. I really felt like part of the reason I got stuck on it was so I could share with you today along these lines. Because I think the next generation is so important. And we often say, oh, the, you know, the, the, the young people are our future. Oh, no, 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 no. They are very much a part of our today. We so badly need a bunch of young people fired up. We need a whole bunch of people that are, you know, middle school, high school, even young kids. Your kids down the nursery, down the other wing in the kids' ministry, our, our young adults that show up at the service tonight or are here today, man, our college students, like we need a whole generation, the next generation fired up, not just for the future, but for today and what God's wanting to do right here and right now. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say this out loud, but there's a, a scripture verse that I absolutely hate, okay? And it's this verse. It's in Joshua chapter 2, God has delivered the people, he's parted the sea, he has rescued, he's moved nation after nation out of Israel's way, Joshua then dies, his whole generation dies, and it says this in Joshua 2.10, one of the worst verses in the Bible, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. I so hate that this happened. Everybody look me in the eyes. We cannot let this happen. We have to continue to think about the next generation. We have to make sure our children and our youth and our young adults and our college students, that they're prepared, that they know who God is, that they know what he's about, that they know Jesus, that they are clear on what he wants to do. And, you know, I think as I mention this, some of you in the room might say, okay, so this is like a talk on parenting today. Well, listen, what I'm going to talk with you about is something parents should do, but it's so much bigger than that. Everybody's in on this. If you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're an older brother or sister, if you're uh, someone who has a niece or a nephew, if you're a friend to someone younger, if you 
Do life with somebody young. Listen, if you are young, today I want to talk to all of you because this is everybody in. See, there's some objections I want to talk about today as I bring up a topic like this, the next generation, hearing from God and hearing about God and discovering who he is. Some of the objections might go like this. Well, I don't have kids. Okay, so let me address that partly now and more later. When I graduated high school, my dad pulled aside three guys, at least three guys, who were in their mid-20s and thanked them for the influence that they had on my life. Because he knew that while I was raised in a Christian home and I went to Christian school and I you know, lived at church practically as a kid. I loved church. I loved youth group. I loved everything about church. And they certainly poured into me that he knew these, these three guys had made such an impact on my life. And they were all in their mid-20s. None of them married and none of them had kids. But they had told the next generation about the greatness of God. And Steve Lee, he spoke here last year. I interviewed him about some of the things he'd been going through with his health. And Steve Lee's the funniest person on the whole planet, and he showed me that you could laugh and have fun and be a follower of Jesus. Steve uh, Silvestri and Dave Cava. Dave Cava was also here last year, same day Steve Lee was. And, and these two guys showed me you could be cool and fun and still pursue Jesus. Uh, Steve Silvestri, I made fun of him for going bald in his 20s, which is probably why all this happened. <laughs> but, but man, these people had such a great impact on my life. They certainly weren't my parents, and they weren't even married or had the kids of their own, but they made an impact. So yes, what I'm going to say today is huge for parents, but it is huge for every single one of us. Whether you're an elementary school or a middle school or a high school, there is someone younger than you or maybe older than you, but younger in their faith that God wants you to be impacting. And so we're going to talk about that today. Some other objections do have to do more with parents. So maybe the first one goes like this. Well, I didn't do this well, and it's too late. I didn't impact my kids well, it's too late. We're going to talk about that. Maybe you're thinking, I did my best to do this, but it didn't work. My kids are far from Jesus. I told them all about Jesus. I I declared God's greatness to the next generation, Doug. It just didn't work. We're going to talk about that. Maybe you're saying, I didn't know Jesus as I was raising kids. Maybe some of you guys are saying, my kids are older. They have their own kids now. We're going to talk about that. Maybe, like I said, some of you are just young. You're like, I'm not even married yet. You know, I want to just let you know, Kelly and I started praying for our kids before we were even married. We began to just pray, you know, and it's a good thing we got married, I guess, but, but we were praying for our kids. Oh, Jesus, just be with our kids, and we don't know them yet, obviously, but you know them, and you're writing their story, and you know who they're going to end up with, and, and God, we pray for their relationships. And we, so as like 21-year-olds, Kelly and I were praying for our kids. I would encourage you, if you're young, to be praying about the person you're going to marry, the person that you're going to date, the people you're going to you know, spend time with. Like we're going to talk about that more in a few weeks. I would really encourage you, even as young people, like, God, who could you have me influence? You are not the church of tomorrow. You are so much a part of the church of today. We need you. You want to change Long Island? Get a hundred kids fired up for Jesus. You'd do way more than I could. So man, my heart today is no matter what your age is or where you find yourself, that God would just give you a vision for reaching the people, especially of the next generation. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm going to talk to you too today. I'm going to show you, I hope, a clear picture of who Jesus really is. Maybe you have the wrong image of who he is. I pray today you'll see a clear picture of who Jesus is. And we're going to look at a psalm here. It's Psalm 145. And this is going to be our launching point. Then we're going to jump to a couple other scriptures. But Psalm 145 is a beautiful work of art. 
And I want you to see it for what it is, okay? So years ago, a few years ago, there was an older couple that was going to be selling their house, and they were trying to get everything kind of all put together. And, and so they asked someone to come over and help them, and, and the person that was over there saw a framed, signed Kobe Bryant poster and was like, oh, I bet this is worth something. They got in touch with an auctioneer, and the appraiser came over. And while the appraiser was there, he said, well, not only is that worth something, but all these paintings over here look a lot like paintings by a guy named Jackson Pollock, who was a famous artist. And they began to authenticate and work on figuring out how much they'd be worth. They're still in that process, but the appraisers are saying that it's somewhere between 10 and $15 million worth of art that was just sitting there right in front of them, and they didn't even know it. And sometimes when we read the scriptures, we don't realize there's a work of art right in front of us and we don't even know it. Psalm 145 is called an acrostic poem. And what that means is the, art, the, the writer put a lot of effort into not just saying the things he was going to say, but the way he said them. And so each first word in each verse is a successive letter, starts with a successive letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So I just don't want you to miss a piece of art sitting right in front of you as we go through it. It's lost in translation, but what a beautiful thing that was put together here for us. And the things that it says are so powerful. So let's read in Psalm 145, 1. It says, I will exalt you, my God and King. I will bless your name forever and ever. So the writer's just going, oh God, I exalt you. You're amazing. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. So David brings up all these incredible, beautiful, wonderful things about God. And he's excited about God and there's a passion in him for God. But what he says next is so beautiful. One generation will commend your works to the next. See, that's on us, everybody. That's our job now. Everybody say shavak. Shavak means to commend or to praise. Commend means to praise, applaud, honor, cheer, glorify, extol parents, grandparents, older siblings, uncles and aunts, uh, Sunday school workers, children's ministry workers, youth leaders, disciplers, you who have friends here in the room today, we are called to commend, to glorify, to cheer on God to the next generation. My parents did this really well. My mom was a worship leader until the day she died. She was not only a worship leader in that she would do it in church, she was a worship leader in that she did it everywhere she went, even to our annoyance at times. She had us hiking all over the world. We were on some mountain in some place, I don't even know where we were, and we get to the very top, and it's beautiful, and there's some nice sunrise or sunset, I don't know what time of day it was, but of course she made us stand in a circle and grab hands and sing, our God is an awesome God, he reigns. And I'm like looking around, there's other people like looking, and I'm just trying to hide from this right now. But mom was a worshiper, she didn't care who was embarrassed, she was going to declare the greatness of God. My dad does this to this day. He encourages me in my relationship with God. He reminds me of God's goodness. He declares his greatness to me. My mom passed several years ago, and my dad had a really hard time with it, but he continues to declare God's greatness. We went on vacation in August, and she was dead in November. Cancer just took her that quickly. And yet, my dad's heart remained soft toward the Lord. And he was honest about his pain and his hurt, but he continues to encourage me in my faith. My grandparents did this one. My mom's mom, the last conversation I had with her, she was in her 90s. And she said, Doug, I just can't wait to go be with Jesus. I just want to go home. I just want to go be with my Savior. Her, her la the last words I ever heard her say were those. 
My dad's mom did this well. My, my, my dad's mom would call the whole family down and get us all in the den. We'd all sit on the blue couch in my parents' den, and she'd sit in a rocking chair, and she would preach to us for sometimes two or three hours. And she would tell stories, and she would bring up scriptures, and she would just, I mean, she was talking to four future preachers, my dad, my brother-in-law, myself, and my wife, and we were all there. And she would say these three words all the time, know your audience, know your audience. If you talk about God, know your audience. And isn't it interesting that here today, 20, 30-something years later, I'm talking to people who don't know Jesus, do know Jesus, are young, are old, our grandparents, our parents, our uncles, our aunts, our friends. And there's grandma's little, know your audience. Make sure you're speaking to everybody in the room. Make sure as you talk about God, they're all hearing it. My grandparents are really good at this. My uncles and aunts do this well. When I was in the hospital, before I went on the vent, my uncle was texting me, Doug, you're going to be okay. God showed me you're coming home. When I was in the hospital throughout, he would text me almost every day about two things, Jesus and the Mets. When I woke up from the vent and all that, I had a ton of missed texts from him. December 24th, as they're telling everybody I'm going to die, Doug, you're coming home. December 25th, as they're telling everyone I'm going to die, Doug, I know God's got you. January 2nd, Doug, I know you're going to come off that vent. January 5th, Doug, it's going to be all right. January about 18th, Doug, the Mets got Francisco Lindor. <laughs> We're going to keep this going. But, man, the encouragement, one generation to the next. My Uncle Pete has gone through horrific health issues in the last several years. I was just texting him a few weeks ago, catching up, and he's telling me how good God is. And Doug, I can tell you story after story of how God's come through for me about his faithfulness. This is a man who suffered horribly. One generation to the next. Maybe you have kids, maybe you don't. Maybe you have grandkids, maybe you don't. Maybe you have nieces and nephews, maybe you don't. We all have friends, we all have people that we influence. You're young, there are people younger than you. You're young, there's some older people who are younger, or, or younger in their faith, so to speak. Man, what God could do through all of us, one generation to the next. Let's continue the verse and into verse five. One generation will commend your works to the next and will pro proclaim your mighty acts, the glorious splendor of your majesty. We've got to be telling the next generation about who our God is. And I think that we proclaim God's mighty acts and majesty in a couple ways. I think we do it by looking to the scriptures, right? We, we grab the Bible and we say, look, look what God did. Look what he did for so-and-so. Look what he did for these people. Look at the way that he came through. Look at the way he carried them. But I think we also do it by talk, talking about our own stories, right? You know, when I was younger, God came through. When I needed him so badly, he healed my heart. Um, I was depressed, and God began to give me joy and peace. I was hopeless, and God just suddenly opened up this door and this opportunity, and there was provision there, and it was so clearly him, and here's how I know why. I was hurting, and I didn't get the answer that I wanted from God, but he carried me anyway and showed me he was with, him, with me, right? Like all these different things that we can talk about. Now, some people sitting here today or watching online right now are saying, but I don't have those stories I don't know what I would say. I love the next part of this. And I will meditate on your wondrous works. David's saying he was, medit he was meditating. This isn't some weird spiritual thing. The Bible talks a lot about meditating. It, it really means to consider and to study, study and to speak out. It's this idea of just getting it in your heart and in, in your soul and speaking it and, and celebrating it and thinking on it and thinking on God. We don't just look for a void space to go to. We're looking to scripture. We're looking to God's character, right? And when we're there and we're thinking about who he is, suddenly we begin to, I think, realize what he's done. I think you've got more stories to share than you realize if you've been following Jesus for any length of time. You just kind of maybe stop and meditate on them. Stop and discover, wow, those are some wondrous works that God has done. And then I love this. Are you ready? Everybody say they. they. 
Okay, look at this next word. You ready? They will proclaim. They will proclaim the power of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. So David so far has been declaring a lot and then talking about telling people a lot about the things he was declaring. But now we got a they in the picture. Now who makes up the they? Well, I think it could be a whole lot of people make up the they, but I'm sure part of the they are the next generation. Part of the they are the people that David declared those works to. Oh, I'll declare your greatness, God, but they will as well. I love who potentially could be declaring with you and me in the time that comes. I wonder what awesome things we will begin to speak about. You know, this is just how we're wired as people. We talk about things we enjoy. We talk about things that excite us or, or amaze us or intrigue us. A few weeks ago, our staff went to a Mets game. Some of us on the, on the team went, uh, yeah, we're on the team now. We're on the Mets, and we went uh, to watch ourselves play. And as we were on the way in, we saw something crazy. We saw this guy in a panel work van who had installed an air conditioner into the back of the van. See, look at that right there. I probably should have blanked out the license plate, but this is either the stupidest thing or the most ingenious thing I've ever seen in my life, okay? Stupid because the value of that van just dropped because you just cut a hole in the side of it. And I also wonder how he's powering it. He must have converted it to his cigarette lighter or something, right? But ingenious in that the guy probably spent 80 bucks at Walmart on that AC as opposed to thousands of installing or fixing the AC that was broken in that unit. Now, why do I bring that up? Because I'm telling you about it, and I wouldn't be surprised if in the next week or two you're talking to somebody like, oh my gosh, I saw this crazy thing at church. This guy put an AC unit. In fact, I just remembered that since I told the first service this story, several people referred to the fact that it's so hot in here, we could have used a couple of those in, in, in the school today. And so this is how we're wired. We see something interesting, we see something great, we see something that intrigues us, and we share it, we declare it. Goes on in verse 7, they, everybody say they, they will extol the fame of your abundant goodness and sing, everybody say sing, sing joyfully of your righteousness. So now we're not just declaring, now we're singing. And who's the they? Well, the they is a lot of people potentially, but I think a part of that they, it's safe to say, are the people that David declared the goodness of God to. The people you and I declare the goodness of God to. Now, we're not just declaring, we're singing. Now, some of you are saying, but Doug, I tried this and it didn't work. I tried to declare God's greatness to the next generation. It just didn't work. My kids are far from Jesus. My grandkids are far from Jesus. I had friends that I, I brought to church and they came for a while, but now they're far from Jesus. And my nieces and nephews are far from Jesus. And I've tried this, Doug, and it just doesn't work. Well, we're going to continue to get to those struggles and those objections, and they're real, but we're going, to, we're going to tackle them together today in just a few minutes. David continues on in this psalm, and we don't have time to get to the whole psalm because I want to jump to a few other spots, but if you're not a follower of Jesus here today, you're like, I don't really care about telling anybody about Jesus. I'm just here because I'm hurting. I'm here because I'm depressed. I'm here because I'm lost. I'm here because I'm broken, or I'm just here because a friend invited me, and I'm just trying to figure out if God's real, if Jesus loves me, and what he's like. And so let's look at verse eight. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. If you're looking for a clear painting of Jesus, a clear picture of what he's like, kind of like in that garage, he's been, he's been laying there right in front of you all along. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving devotion. Some of us, the picture we had of Jesus, those phrases were backwards, right? He's slow to love, but abounding in anger. Sometimes that's our view of God. Sometimes that's who we think he is. But no, it says that he's slow to anger and abounds in love. And abound means to exist in large number or amount. So you could say angry New York drivers abound. 
Pizza places on Long Island abound. Doug's bed ball jokes abound, right? You could say a whole lot about the word abound. And, and here is God's loving kindness abounding, his loving devotion. So much so that he got on the cross to die in your place. If you're here today saying, man, I just think God's mad at me. I think he's angry. I think he hates me. Well, here he is hanging on the cross to rescue you and give you life and to show you his goodness. And he's got good for you. It's not always the good we think or he would even sometimes choose. But as we look at it on the backside, we see a good that he's worked. And we see a way that he's somehow come through in really difficult circumstances. And we're a bunch of people who are wanting to know this Jesus more and experience this Jesus more and be close to this Jesus as, as much as possible. I'll explore a little bit more of that with you later. But the Bible is full of reminders that we need to grow in our sharing with the next generation. Look, look at this, Psalm 78.4. Read this with me. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. We're not going to hide them. We're not going to hide them. Are, we hide, are some of us in the room hiding the wonders that God's done? Maybe because, listen, this is so important. Maybe because our own hearts are hurt. Maybe because we're a little angry at God. We're disappointed with God. Can I just plead with you? to work through anger or hurt or offense in your heart for your sake, but for the sake of the next generation. Are you quiet about Jesus because you're mad at him? Man, that you and I would work through that, that we would soften our heart, that we'd go to God and say, God, give me a soft heart. I think there's so much on the line here. We, we don't have another day or two, another week, another year for you to kind of coast along, still trying to figure out if God is good or not. God is good, and it's time to... Go to him and say, Jesus, soften my heart for even the sake of the next generation. Psalm 102, 18, let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. You're, you're like in elementary school and you're like, this is awkward. I'm in church and this guy's telling me to pray for my son who doesn't exist yet. Well, how cool is it that that's biblical? <laughs> that it says that there's a generation yet to be created that will praise the Lord. How cool. Psalm 71, 18. So even to old age and gray hairs, which will not be on my head, but in my beard, oh God, do not forsake me, I told you they abound, until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. This is what the writer is saying. I don't want to die, God, until I could tell the next generation about you. You know, I think sometimes in, in like America, there's this whole other focus, like, oh God, before I die, just give me this one last experience. I want to get the whole family together. We're going to go to Aruba. It's going to be amazing. Listen, there's nothing wrong with that. But the writer here has a very different perspective. Oh, God, give me enough money to leave an inheritance. Listen, my father-in-law's in the room. I pray he leaves a nice inheritance. You know what I'm saying? He works on the staff here. He's the executive pastor, founding pastor of our church. And, and a few weeks ago, we were having a conversation, and we were coming down on two different sides of it, and we were disagreeing. And at the end of it, he just goes, Doug, do what you want, but I'm writing you out of the will. <laughs> he says, but I'll give my daughter a double portion, so you'll be all right. <laughs> but that's not the writer's heart here. Inheritances are good. Vacations are good. But he's going, oh, God, don't let me go anywhere until I tell the next generation about you. I've got to. Proclaim your might to the next generation. Deuteronomy 6. This passage is really dear to Kelly in my heart because this is what we've learned to do with our kids. We have kids 18, 16, and 14. Now, there's different stages of life, okay? So let me talk to parents, and if you're not a parent yet, file this away. 
Okay, some of you guys are going to write this on your phone and they'll be like, iPhones won't even exist by the time you have kids anymore. It'll be something cooler and new. You're just thinking it'll float in the air or something. I don't even know. But just file this away for now. But Deuteronomy 6, it says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And this is so cool. You shall teach them diligently. So we got to be honest. We've got to be purposeful, right? Diligently to your children. But here's how we do it, especially I think as kids get older, Okay. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Okay, so Kelly and I love this passage because when your kids are little, you have a captive audience, man. You know, you can grab an awesome Veggie Tales book or a God's Bible Promise book or, you know, one of those small little books are now online, everything's online, floating in the air, and you can just grab a story and you can share it, and your kids are captive, and they want to sing worship songs before bed, and man, I would affirm all that, pray before bed, take prayer requests, right? That's awesome. But then 18, 16, 14, you try that and you get punched. You just, you just get punched. <laughs> 18, 16, 14, it's just a different world, okay? Like, my kids would be reading bedtime stories to me, you know, and like, dad, stay awake, it's the Bible, I just want to sleep, you know, like, you're exhausted. It's a whole different level. And so now at 18, 16, and 14, what works? And really, I'd say probably for the last five or more years, what has been effective for us is talking in the house and when we rise and as we walk and on the way. Let's drive into the baseball field and somebody brings up a question. You know, Dad, what do you think about this? Or somebody brings up something that happened at school and, okay, well, here's an opportunity to talk with them about how to handle this in a godly way. And what are you scared about? What, what can we pray about? What are we working through right now with conflict? Or how can we help you understand finances in a godly way to handle that? Or like, like then we're just on the way. We're just on the way. We're just talking. It's just coming up. And, and it's diligent and it's purposeful, but it's, it's not like, okay, let's sit down and have our devotions now. Because at those ages, we're not even in the house usually together at the same times anymore. That stinks, by the way. But that's what it is to have older kids. And so, man... If you're like, but I don't know how to do this, like maybe you're here saying, I'm not even anybody's parent. I'm an uncle, I'm an aunt, I'm a friend. And as you sit and as you walk and as you rise and on the way, what cool opportunities to have conversations, what cool opportunities to bring it back to God, to when someone's hurting, just stop and pause and how are you feeling about that and what's going on in your heart? And, you know, we'll, we'll pray with our kids usually before bed every night, we still try to collect everybody. Sometimes, like, one of them's going out and I'm ready to go to bed, you know, like, but collecting everybody and just praying still, you know, and it's not this long thing. We're not, you know, praying for the missionaries saving babies from alligators. Like, like we're, we're just like, oh, Jesus, you know, like, here's some needs and, and bless the night. It's just that, like, on the way, and, and, and we're going to continue to keep this about Jesus. Some of you guys, some of the most powerful things you can do, I think, as a parent, is... When you fail, own that. Because part of what we tell our kids about Jesus is, our, is out of our lifestyle. And sometimes we really mess that up. And sometimes we paint a bad picture for our kids by things we do or say. And I think one of the most powerful things we can do is own it when we do that. You know, I, I think that opens up a whole conversation. I don't know about you, I can tend to be an always and never person, okay, when I'm upset about something. You always this. You never that. And recently I did that to one of my kids. You always this. And it was a few minutes later that I went back and said, you don't always. You sometimes. But I made it an always, and I'm sorry. And it led to a whole open conversation then and, and good communication. 
that came out of that. And so just, I'm sorry, I lost my temper. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry, I was, you know what, you guys came home and, and I was just in a horrible mood from the day. I took out my anger at so-and-so on you and I'm just, I'm sorry. Some of you guys who feel like you missed your chance with your kids or you, you didn't know Jesus as you were raising your kids or maybe you're a grandparent and you blew it on family vacation, just lost your mind in a moment and punched a hole through a wall and kids don't even want to see you anymore. Like It's time to go and say, I'm sorry. I told you by my lifestyle something about Jesus that isn't true. I'm sorry, I'm going to start there. And listen, this is so important. Some of us, we need to let our kids see some of our struggle and still see us hanging on to Jesus. Last week at one of the churches I spoke at, I talked about how every morning around 5.30, 6 o'clock, I wake up with tremendous anxiety, just a horrible struggle with anxiety. And by the time I got here at 7.30 this morning, I was golden, man. I was good. I'm joyful. I'm ready. I'm excited. I'm jumping up and down ready to, to, to be with Jesus and to be with you guys. And that's every day for me. I, I'm good to go after about, you know, some time with the Lord and some time just fighting through it. But 5.30 every morning or so, just horrific anxiety. And the pastor of the church I spoke at last Sunday thanked me for sharing that and said that so many of his people told told them that they were so encouraged by that because I think everybody thinks pastors have it all together. And listen, our kids, our grandkids, our nephews and nieces, are, sometimes they think either we have it all together or we're supposed to. And when we are vulnerable to an appropriate degree and we can show, no, dad's struggling, man. Dad's struggling with this. But God's still good. Dad's struggling, but, but Jesus still can be trusted. Then when, when they're 44... They're not trying to be perfect version of dad who I never was anyway. And they know how to approach Jesus with their weakness too, you know? And so I think, I'm sorry is huge. I think vulnerability to an appropriate degree is huge. I think it opens doorways. I think sometimes as parents, we, we think we have to have it so together that that's gonna be the opening to the doorway. I don't think that that is. I think when we can let our hair down, don't laugh at me, and, and be real with people and show our kids some of our our struggles, that, that can be a beautiful open doorway for the when you rise and when you sit and when you go on the way type of conversations with Jesus. And so I pray that some of that encourages you today. And so what am I saying to you today? I'm just saying we have to proclaim God's greatness to the next generation. And it's going to come out in our words and it should come out in our lifestyle. And when it doesn't come out in our lifestyle, we should own that and learn and apologize. But man, I'm telling you, this is what I want to call an all-skate, okay? Some of you will know what I mean by that. Some of you won't. Back in the day, there were these things called roller skating rinks, and you would go there, and you'd roller skate around, and they'd play horrible music, and you would um, have different skating sessions. There was the couple skate. There was the guy skate, the girl skate, but then there was the all-skate, and everybody would come in, and everybody. You were a professional skater. You're like me who fell and like, ran into lockers and stuff. Like We were all in. And I'm just telling today, what we're talking about here, declaring God's greatness to the next generation and proclaiming who he is, this isn't all skate. We need everybody in on this. This is a parenting thing. This is a grandparenting thing. This is an uncle aunt thing. This is an older friend thing. This is a young people thing. Who can you influence? This is everybody in. Because my dad always said, man, it takes a village to raise a kid. It takes a village. It's not just one person. It's just not just great parents. It's not one parent. You're some of you single parents, man. Man, we've got to come alongside one another. 
And we've got to point the next generation to Jesus. So let's tackle some objections. I know it's 7,000 degrees in here, so I'm going to get us out of here quick, all right? I often reference a podcast called the Brant and Sherry Oddcast, and it's these two uh, hosts. They're hysterical. They love Jesus. They go deep, and then they have you laughing. And Sherry, one of the co-hosts, is always talking about her kids. So at first, I'm thinking she has kids. She's married and has kids. She's not married and has no kids. So who are her kids? Her kids are decades of youth group kids that she has poured her life into. Decades. She, and she just calls them my kids. I was talking about my kids this week, and you would think she has kids. And these are people that she has just loved on. She is there to walk through life with. She is there to question hard stuff with. And I'm just saying, man, whether you're a youth group leader, a kids ministry leader, you're a one-on-one discipler or mentor here in the church, or you're just a person, you're just a Living Word Church family member, there are people for you to impact. There are people who need to hear your story. There are people who need to hear your knowledge of God's word and what he's done. You need to proclaim his greatness to the next generation. So with your objection, I don't have any kids or grandkids or relatives, don't fly with me. We have work to do. We have a generation to raise up and reach. I didn't do this well when I was a parent. It was too late. I'm sorry. Start with I'm sorry. Start with I'm sorry. Be humble. I did my best to do this well as a parent, and it didn't work. Okay, so I started out as a youth pastor, then I was a college and young adults pastor, and now I'm in this role, right? So I can tell you I have tracked with many kids from the time they were in sixth grade until adulthood. Like Joey Lucci, our youth pastor, was one of our kids. He's 30, almost 34 now. I knew him when he was in sixth grade, okay? I have seen so many kids graduate high school, and we started our Sunday night service so that kids... When they graduate high school, they wouldn't graduate their faith. But I've seen, even so, some kids graduate their faith. And you know what I've also seen? A hundred plus times, I would guess, are kids coming back as adults. 30, 25, 24. They walked away for five years, 10 years, 12 years. But they're back. And you know what's often the catalyst? When they have their own kids. They go, oh man. I think all that stuff I heard was true. I want my kids to hear that stuff. Why do I tell you that? Because you cannot and you will not give up. You keep fighting in prayer. You get on your knees. You fast. You pray. You keep fighting. Because God is faithful. And I love that his righteousness extends to our children's children. You keep fighting in prayer. You keep believing. I didn't know Jesus as I was raising kids. It's never too late to start. Never too late to start impacting, whether it's your kids or somebody else's. My kids are older now. All right, I'm sorry. I love you. I blew it. I've learned. I'm here. I'll listen. I'll speak. You tell me what you need. Or somebody else's kids. There are other kids. There are other young people that you can impact. I'm not married yet, or I'm young. File it away. File it away. And here's something that I pray God's doing. And this would take a miracle. This would take God. My prayer is that as I've been talking today, some of you guys are like, you know, I'm realizing today, and this is a miracle of Jesus, that my parents actually have something important to say. (laughs) My grandparents may have something important to say. I was hanging out with some family members this week, and we were talking about how you get to a certain age, and the generation before you is gone. Generation that came before you that you'd love to ask questions. What was your experience? What did God do? What did you learn? What did you go through? You were in World War II? Like, you can't ask those questions anymore. 
man, that some of you younger people in the room would go, Dad, you ever have a bad day? What did God do in the midst of that? Mom, you ever have a doubt about Jesus? Grandpa, you, you ever had an answered prayer? Like, man, I would so encourage you to take advantage of those people in your lives. If you don't have that person in your life, we'd love to get you connected to a disciple or here within the church, somebody a little further down the road than you in their faith that could walk alongside you and encourage you and help you grow. Man, next week we're going to continue the series taking a little bit of a different direction, keep on talking about the influence we can have on people and the influence they have on us. But wow, if we would live this out, I'm telling you what God could do, what God could do to change Long Island if our nursery students and our 22-6 kids, our youth group, our college students, our young adults, our young professionals begin to get fired up. Those people who have so much energy and passion could just drive that all in the right direction, man, what God could do. Let me close with this. I want you to think about your life for a minute. I want you to think about the person that influenced you for Jesus. And I want you to just imagine if they hadn't. If Steve Lee and Dave Cobb and Steve Silvestri hadn't invested in me. If my parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts hadn't invested in me. Who was the person that invested in you? Who's the person that invited you, prayed for you, encouraged you, challenged you, directed you, corrected you even at times lovingly? Man, you get to be that person for someone else. You get to be that person potentially for many, many people going forward. Because it's on you and me to proclaim God's greatness to the next generation. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope you, hope you heard today and got the right picture. I hope you, you saw Jesus, not the one who is abounding in anger and slow to love, but is slow to anger, abounding in love. Hope you're seeing how beautiful and wonderful and good he is. If you want to put your trust in him, I'm going to give you a chance to begin a conversation with him in just a minute. But come on, church, this is an all-skate. We are all in on this. We need everybody, young and old. We've got to proclaim God's greatness to the next generation. Let's pray. Jesus, we're grateful, Lord, that you have met us here today, God, and you've encouraged us and challenged us. And I thank you that I'm pretty sure, Lord, you had me hung up on those verses, not just for myself, but for the people here today, God, and those watching online. And I pray that, God, you'd help us navigate all of this, Jesus. I pray you'd help us. So if you're a follower of Jesus, would you take a minute and would you pray for some, somebody or a few people, the next generation, or maybe if you're young, just some people who you know God wants you to have an impact on, and just begin to pray for them. Pray for opportunities. Pray for your kids right now. Pray for your grandkids. Pray for the people you work with. Pray for your nieces and nephews. Pray for those kids that you help out with here at church when you're on nursery or kids ministry or youth group college ministry if you're not a follower of Jesus would love for you to pray with me now you could just say something like this Jesus thank you so much that you abound in love thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for dying in my place and your desire for me to know you. Forgive me for my sin, Jesus. And show me what it is to know you and follow you and enjoy a relationship with you. Normally we sing songs here that are about what Jesus has done and who he is and his character and the ways he's changed our lives and this last song we, we only do so often and we do it in a moment like this. And this last song is not 
so much a worship song as it is a prayer and a blessing. And I want you to sing it over your kids. I want you to sing it over your grandkids. I want you to sing it over your nieces and nephews. We want to sing it over you. Sing it over each other. Let's sing this prayer and blessing over one another and trust that God is going to do amazing things in the next generation.